litigation about this. But in terms of Congress, uh, uh, the Republican majority has not shown much uh, of a willingness to investigate or to constrain the presidency. Susan, do you see any bright spots, anything positive? I do. I think that we are going to see President Bush come out boldly on Social Security private accounts. We know that he um, is very personally committed to them. He understands the concept, and Karl Rove does as well. So I think we are going to see him come out strongly, and that will give what they call political cover to the down-ticket um, candidates who are running. So I think that I think we saw in 2002 that Social Security is no longer the third rail, that in fact the third rail runs the opposite way. If you try to claim that there is no problem or that private accounts are not the way to go, it can actually cost you in an election. So I think we'll see very positive things with that. The other thing that I think is a bright spot on the very near horizon is the possibility of D.C. public school vouchers. I think that that is going to happen, and that will have an incredible domino effect across the country. Uh, let's talk for a minute about one of the big stars of this movie, and that is the Incredible Hulk. I'm referring to Medicare and prescription drug benefits. How does this fit into the plot, and why are Republicans rooting for this monster? Well, the Republicans say that they're for it because uh, they believe they can get private incentives and market incentives involved to control costs down the line, and they say, well... We, the baby boom generation is going to retire soon, and we have to have some cost controls, some ways to limit uh, this kind of entitlement spending, and let's do it now when we're in power. But there's some question about that. Does, does that make sense, really? And well, one of the questions is, is that anything, any force on earth can control entitlement spending? They're talking about a $400 billion uh, entitlement here for Medicare, drug entitlement. But in fact, no one thinks it's going to be $400 billion, $800 billion is a possibility. After all, they thought that uh, Medicare itself would be somewhere in the range of uh, $20 billion by now when they first passed it in 65. In fact, it's $190 billion. I think that the Medicare bill is creating the stage for some incredible political drama here because the Bush administration... Um, past practices would indicate believes that the way to win elections is to get that the middle block of independent or swing voters by being more democratic than the Democrats on issues. And we saw this with, we see that right now with spending, as John was saying, but we saw this in the first couple months of the 107th Congress with the education bill. And what happened was in order for President Bush to get his photo op with Ted Kennedy and possibly bump up his score in the question, who do you trust more, Democrats or Republicans on the education issue? In order to do that, Bush had to really betray the conservative base, particularly a conservative base in the House, by eliminating choice from the No Child Left Behind bill. And that's exactly what's going on here with the Medicare bill, because the House Republicans are insisting on some competitive measures, that competitive measures be included in the Medicare bill. And Ted Kennedy and 36 other Democrats are saying, we will not, we will not go along with that. Will the conservatives rebel against uh, Bush on this? There's an effort afoot in the House right now to uh, try to, to impose some kind of limits on it, some kind of more conservative view. Uh, there's 47 members, I believe, that have signed on to that. They also are very clear, though, that President Bush is not going to give them any support at all about this. You know, the one interesting thing about this Medicare uh, bill is that it shows how the growth of government creates the growth of government. Forty million people are on Medicare now, and that's well along to a majority in any election you have. 
So in fact, entitlement spending sets the stage for more entitlement spending. In other words, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You can always count on Paul's vote, and we're just making uh, the country a majority of Paul's. Exactly. Uh, what about um, drug reimportation? Anything uh, going to well, they uh, last week, I believe, they passed a bill about to, to allow drug reimportation from Canada. This is interesting, I think, because a lot of people believe that campaign finance and contributions determine policy, and in fact, the drug companies give a lot of money uh, to both parties, mostly Republicans. But here we saw both Republicans and Democrats voting against the interests of the drug companies. So it was one of those occasions that happened quite a bit, actually where uh, money didn't help at all. What, what do you get for your money when, when you make big uh, political contributions? Do you get anything? You don't get anything specifically. You might be listened to some, but uh, when the votes are going the other way in your district, you lose. Um, Susan, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how this uh, campaign finance thing turned out, uh, uh, biting the, the Democrats. Exactly. That's the big irony that we're operating under right now is that the campaign finance laws have enabled the Republicans to far, far outpace the Democrats in fundraising. Ironically, it was the Republicans opposed to these very regulations that have set this up and the Democrats who supported it. That's right. I mean, it's really looking like a disaster for the Democrats. It, as it, ironically, it turned out the Democrats were good at raising really uh, large sums of money from million-dollar-plus uh, donations. They banned that. They voted, 93% uh, of them in the House voted to ban those kinds of donations, and now they find themselves trailing badly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we've also got the fight scene between the FCC and the media companies. Now, who's in whose posse on this one? The weird thing about this one is you have very, very conservative interest groups and very, very liberal interest groups all being opposed to what they fear will be um, a conglomeration of media ownership because they all believe that the conglomeration will operate against them, which since they're all screaming about it, I think only shows you that there's an incredible amount of diverse coverage in every single news medium we have. Well, the vote uh, about media ownership was wildly bipartisan. Anytime that happens, you look for incumbent interest. And what I think is going on here is the allowing larger stakes for media companies would introduce more money into local markets uh, they, from the larger companies that would buy them. And that would mean more investigations, more trouble for the status quo, more trouble perhaps for incumbents or their political allies back in the districts. So in a sense, this makes this vote, bipartisan as it is, makes sense because it serves the interests of the incumbents in Congress. And that's actually, that ties both the issues together, the campaign finance regulations and the FCC battle we're having now, because you have bipartisan, but at some level, bipartisan disappears and you have incumbent versus challenger. And so when you have bipartisan support of some regulation, you can pretty much bet that it means it's a regulation that will hurt challengers. And hold on to your wallet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about the uh, issue of free airtime? Senator McCain and some of his uh, friends introduced a free airtime bill that would require, among other things, $750 million in advertising for uh, candidates for office. It seems pretty unlikely that this is going to go anywhere, but it's, uh, it's in fact, it's the effort to extract free airtime from the broadcasters is about 30, 40 years old. Um, but he's trying to build on this antagonism toward uh, the big broadcasters in Congress and see if he can get it through. I think probably it'll go nowhere. What do you, uh, if, if, if you could have a wish list, Susan, what would it be? What would you like to see this Congress accomplish in the remaining term? 
Well, I, actually, we've already started to see them talk about Social Security personal accounts again. That's what I always hope to see first. And there has been increased activity on the Hill. Um, I do believe that it will take President Bush to do it, and that I do, I do think he's going to start campaigning on it strong. So I would like to see them do that. Um, I would like to see the judicial nominees at least get a vote, and I think that fairness would indicate that they're entitled to that. Um, the Medicare bill, if it doesn't include something that brings competition and free market forces into Medicare, then I would just assume I'd be pleased to see it die. The energy bill doesn't have anything worth passing. It doesn't matter to me if that dies. So if they go with Social Security personal accounts and some Medicare reform, that would be that would get us a long way. John? Uh, I would agree with all of that, but I think I would like to see also a larger and maybe bipartisan, you know, questioning from Congress about the course of foreign policy, about expansive notions of democracy and bringing democracy uh, through American force abroad. Um, Congress was supposed to, when this government was set up in 1789, serve as a, the strongest branch and certainly as a counterweight to executive authority. Myself, I'm really concerned uh, to see the drift toward more and stronger, more unified, and less responsible in some ways executive authority. The country was founded in a rejection of a kind of monarchical power, and uh, I think Congress needs to stand up and play its role in the division of powers. Well, thank you both. I guess we'll have to wait and see whether this movie turns out to have a happy ending or not. And thank you for coming. Susan Chamberlain, Cato's Director of Government Affairs, and John Samples, Director of Cato's Center for Representative Government. <laughs> 